My guest today is a novelist who not only hit it out of the park by landing on the New York Times and Times bestseller lists, but was also selected as a Reese's Book Club pick for her debut novel, The Sanatorium. Bestselling author Sarah Pierce grew up in Devon in the UK and studied English literature and creative writing at the University of Warwick before completing a postgrad diploma in broadcast journalism. Since the wildfire success of the sanatorium, Ellen Warner's story continues in the retreat, which is now also on the New York Times bestseller list. I'm so pleased to have Sarah online with me today to chat about this second novel. Welcome, Sarah. Oh, thanks so much for having me on. I'm so excited to get stuck into this. I want to pick your brain um, (laughs) on so many things before we get into the retreat, which was such a, I've just, we've just been chatting sort of offline about what a crazy month it was uh, for, you know, I think for, for many of us, this year has been a bit dilly, but um, the retreat offered me a break from my reality. So it was a nice break from my reality. So I want to thank <laughs> you for that. And um, I'm sure it will do so for many readers who are currently out grabbing their copies and South Africans which who in August will be grabbing their copies. But before we get into it, it must have been wild with your debut, The Sanatorium, to get onto bestseller lists. I mean, The Times, The New York Times. What was it like getting these phone calls? Uh, genuinely just crazy um, and I think the phrase kind of people said oh sort of every wildest dream kind of come true but for me I suppose it wasn't even a dream with my debut um, I was under sort of no illusion that as a debut anything like that would happen um, I think I kind of is, imagined sort of bestseller lists come after you have sort of I suppose a bit of a roster of books behind you so for me yeah it wasn't even a dream um, I genuinely when I started writing the sanatorium it was quite a passion project it was a book kind of that I wanted to write that almost a little bit of mashup of genre, I suppose, as well. Um, And it wasn't something I knew would have a wide audience. It was an idea I was sort of passionate about. I had a character in my detective, Ellen Warner, who I was passionate about. But yeah, I'd hoped she maybe kind of, I don't know, 10, 100 people would connect with her, not that it would do that. So yeah, I mean, when I got the phone calls, full tears, everything. (laughs) Okay, And and, uh, seeing Reese Witherspoon promoted across her platforms, I mean, it must have been insane. (laughs) <laughs> it was insane and genuinely like an out of body experience. I think it probably, I, I, I'm actually, this really interesting kind of point. I think it's probably only really now can I look at it objectively and sort of enjoy it in a weird way that it's me, because I think for a, for a while it sort of just didn't feel real actually. And I've been re-looking at the videos actually and kind of sort of reminiscing about the sort of journey, I suppose, so far from book one to book two. And yeah, I can think now I can sort of fully enjoy it, having some distance from it. It was a whirlwind and I was so busy. I didn't, I think have even just like a week or a few days just to absorb the news. So yeah. <laughs> Speaking about that distance, you mentioned that distance. Is it is that affirming enough for you as a writer, though being on those bestseller lists, you know, selling out copies like wildfire, but then you get things like Goodreads and, and that that come with its own reviews, comments, both good right. and bad. I can imagine that it's equal parts helpful and dangerous to venture there as a writer. Do you do you go there? Because I find it unfair. Five stars for a book, you know, and yeah. then you're dealing with different genres and you're it's Definitely. there are too many variables to just narrow a piece of writing yeah. down to just five stars without looking at all the facets that make up a novel and a genre. 
yeah definitely for me the sort of reviews and things i'm genuinely grateful for everyone that reviews the book and i don't mean that in a kind of facetious way of kind of yeah ignore reviews or whatever but i'm grateful for kind of everyone who reviews because i think it's kind of people are engaging with the book and i think it's dangerous particularly as a debut to kind of focus on too much on reviews because i think what was interesting with the sanatorium because so many people read it really quickly and all at once i was getting not just reviews on goodreads but on instagram which were very visible and there were elements of the book that people loved and equally the same elements of the book people really didn't like. And I learned really quickly, I, I suppose, because I had such a volume of reviews, that I could never, I suppose, second guess any reader. You just have to write the book for you and kind of the rest. While I'm really grateful for the reviews, it can't influence your path as a writer. And lots of people have said, have, have any reviews sort of influenced the retreat? Definitely not for me. I kind of had my path with Ellen, had my path with kind of the book I suppose I'd like to write. And I quickly realised you can't kind of please any one reader. People love different things. And I mean, even uh, an example is Will actually in the book. It's a really interesting one. He's Ellen's partner. Lots of people think Will's a great supportive partner and love him. Lots of readers kind of feel like he's a gaslighting maniac. <laughs> so yeah, that's just an example of how one character can be viewed so differently. So yeah, it doesn't, I think it's not good to kind of immerse yourself, but I'm probably quite thick skinned as well because I did a creative writing degree where we kind of English and creative writing, where we had to critique each other's work all the time. And yeah, you just realise what a subjective thing it is, I think, writing in general. Each reader brings themselves to the piece of work so I mean I would imagine that you mentioned Will and I want to ask you about Will in a bit <laughs> but yeah yes you would have different experiences of boy boyfriends and and supportive boyfriends or not supportive boyfriends uh, slash yeah. partners and I suppose that's where that's coming from and that's in all facets of of a piece of writing whatever you bring to the novel as a reader will give you that lens through absolutely which, yeah yeah, sorry, I was just going to mention, I was also saying on Ellen, actually, she's been a really sort of quite a controversial character. And I really kind of engaged with that and found it interesting. She's quite emotionally open and quite vulnerable in her role. And that's quite triggering for some people, even women, actually, I think, struggle to see vulnerability. It's something I think that's still sort of frowned upon. And yeah, Ellen's been a little bit beaten up online, actually, because she is kind of open emotionally. And it does remind me, actually, of how I see sort of female characters who are kind of show that vulnerability in our sort of wider day-to-day -day life, not just fictional characters. Yeah, I think there's this idea that you have to be this sort of put a strong kind of stiff upper lip on things. And yeah, people struggle with that. And it's, I think it's kind of, a, I suppose, a hangover from our sort of very masculine, traditionally masculine ways of kind of being in public life. And I actually personally consider women, how women react to situations and their emotion a real positive in life. But kind of, I think we very much ape the male way of doing things, which is a shame. I kind of in my mind have compared what is looking to be a series uh, with the <coughs> Ellen Warner stories to to Robert Gilbraith's, uh, you know, Cormoran Strike novels. And yeah. then it would be so interesting to have someone write a paper or something comparing Ellen Warner and Cormoran Strike. Oh, well, I haven't actually read those books. <laughs> why, why do you say that? How are the characters? I suppose, just, well, he's a male protagonist and you... Hmm. I think there are certain expectations on Ellen from a reader's point of view because she's a woman. Where Cormoran Strike, you take him as he's deeply flawed and um, he is what he is and you kind of take him for that. But you, the fact that you mentioned that Ellen comes under, you know, such fire online, but I don't think Cormoran Strike does in a similar way and it probably is because he's male. 
yeah and i think this judgment of women is is extraordinary i think i see it all the time i mean just in the uk at the moment we're dealing with sort of lots of stuff going on with politics and obviously with our prime minister and the kind of female candidates the scrutiny they're strong they're not strong enough they're this they're that I, yeah, I don't think women can ever be right. And I think it's really interesting whether even some female readers, there's kind of almost like an internalised misogyny mm -hmm. in a way. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think we're quick to judge female characters in a way that we kind of give men more of a free pass, perhaps. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> so the retreats, elevator picture to us, to readers who have not yet read the, the novel. What is it essentially about? Yeah, so the retreat, we follow Ellen Warner, who we followed in the sanatorium, but the book can very much be read as a standalone. Um, it's set um, on a luxury retreat on a remote island, a little bit off the South Devon coast. It's a wellness retreat, so we've got paddleboarding, yoga, kind of all that good stuff. And in the book, we follow a group of kind of friends and um, family. Um, we have two sisters, a cousin and partners, as they travel to the retreat for a holiday. But yeah, without giving too much away, <laughs> a woman falls onto the rocks below the yoga pavilion. It looks like it's a fall and Ellen Warner's called out to kind of investigate. But yeah, she soon finds out that it's anything but. Oh man, it's juicy. And I'm going to get into it. My very brief review of it stated that there are a lot of loose ends tied up for me. I'm like, that. Yeah. It, it's satisfying. It's not, it's not, um, there aren't like glaring issues that I have, you know, there aren't any plot falls or gaps but online, there are a few people between the sanatorium and um, the retreats who are like, no, but what about this? There's someone following Ellen. We don't know. And yes. I mean, readers get into it. And I so and there's several references to the Hayler case, both in the sanatorium and in the retreats. Okay, yeah. So I feel like there are, in addition to a standalone story, there are several continuing story arcs. How much have you got planned for yeah. Ellen? Oh, that's such a good question. So, yeah, we have, um, as you mentioned, in the sanatorium and the retreat, this kind of character at the end of the sanatorium who's watching Ellen um, from the funicular. And we had sort of lots of wild theories online. It was really sort of exciting, actually, to kind of, yeah, explore what people were thinking. Um, and then in the retreat, we sort of see the reappearance of this character who's sort of watching Ellen and she becomes aware of it, which obviously in the sanatorium she's not, which I think people found quite sinister. And yet in book three, we're kind of very much seeing that sort of secondary plot thread high up we're finding out who is watching Ellen and why mm. um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we also so we also get to know Will a bit more yeah. in in the retreat um he's very much uh you know sometimes Ellen disappears for like an hour and a half and I'm like yo my my husband would have like been texting me hey where are you i don't I remember you know. <laughs> well's very very understanding i suppose he does have his limits but in the retreat we found out he is the architect of lumen the retreat that sets the background for the novel do you know anyone like will i'm curious because he, he really is that incredibly patient kind understanding uh, partner <laughs> but i do wonder if he has his limits 
Yeah, no, he definitely does. I think Will has elements of sort of lots of people I know, kind of friends and family. But yeah, I think he does kind of have his limits. And as you say, he's a patient character. But I think probably we see in the retreat as well, him kind of push to his limits with Ellen. But I wonder often, I get frustrated with Will sometimes. I wonder whether, you know, there's almost a slight double standard without giving away too much. I think in the sanatorium, we see Will as this endlessly, I suppose, depending on how you'd like to interpret it, kind of patient character. And Ellen's sort of constantly, I suppose, looking back to the past and Will getting frustrated with that. But I think we see a side to Will perhaps, yeah, that was quite unexpected in the retreat. So I think, yeah, some of perhaps the conversations they have are maybe a little bit unfair. I think Will isn't quite the perfect character he seems to be. So another thing that I picked up on over the two novels is that you seem to investigate sibling dynamics. It's a continuation in this novel. So it started out in the sanatorium with Ellen and Isaac, who have their own kind of flawed relationship. It continues with Will and his sister Farah in the retreat, who has brief, very, very brief mention in the sanatorium, uh, Farah does. I don't even think there's a name. I just think it's Will's sister. Oh, not many people have picked up on that. Yeah, because I'd kind of seeded this idea of Will's sister and a little bit of friction. But yeah, yeah, no one else picked up that she was in the sanatorium. Thank you. (laughs) It might be because I read the sanatorium after the retreat. Ah, okay. So you kind of thought, ah, there's the sister. There it is. There it is. So, (laughs) of course, the ledger group, which you mentioned, the two sisters initially and the cousin and their partners, they also have really interesting sibling dynamics. It, was this intentional to explore sibling dynamics? Do you have your own siblings that you draw inspiration <laughs> from? You know, what did, did you do this intentionally? Yeah, definitely. Sibling relationships just, I, to be honest, will also, I'm kind of fascinated again between sort of parent and child as well. And that's something I'll definitely explore in later books. But the sort of sibling thing, I'm one of three sisters. Um, and my husband has a brother and obviously lots of sibling relationships within our family. And I can thankfully say genuinely, my sisters are nothing like the sisters in the book. I won't give away any spoilers, mm-hmm. but yeah, there are ele- elements that kind of echo in terms of, I suppose, dynamics within family and sort of sibling order and role which I'm sort of fascinated by and kind of I suppose the roles we have set in childhood and do they kind of linger as we get older in the retreat we have Hannah who I suppose is the moderating influence of the group of this of the two of the three sisters you have sort of the extremes on either side and I was kind of fascinated to I suppose explore what would happen when she no longer wants to be in that role there's lots of sort of secrets lots of sort of lies bubbling beneath the surface and I think we kind of see it build in the book and her getting frustrated with that role within the family I suppose and yeah I'm really interested in kind of everything we are as children and how we are in that sort of enforced close relationship just because you live in the same house does that carry on when you get older? Or even do you look back to childhood and think, did I know you as well as I thought I did just because we were living together? And yeah, I think all of that is a little bit unpicked in the retreat. Mm, And a sense of loyalty as well, you know, so just because you grew up in the same household as this person, do you remain loyal to them? You know where they come from, you know why they do the things that they do or why they behave the way they behave. How far do you take your loyalty for your siblings? Yeah, exactly. No, it is really true. And I think you kind of have that automatic feeling because they are family. And I think that's what Ellen struggles with, I suppose, without giving too much away in in the sanatorium with Isaac. There's so much love there, kind of that visceral love you have for someone just because they're in your family. But at the same time, if they did something wrong, you suspect them of doing something wrong. Yeah. What do you do? And as you say, how much loyalty is there? Yeah, I find it endlessly fascinating. 
I believe that you inferred that this wasn't intentional that you ventured into thriller writing. But, you know, for all intents and purposes, I've seen some Instagrammers call the sanatorium and the retreat, you know, not you get slow burn, you get fast pace and that these are kind of medium paced, you know, in the bookstagram world had, you know, is wild with its, you know, definitions <laughs> of things that this is kind of medium pace that it kind of chugs along, but you get, you know, you're yeah. sufficiently entertained, you know, with each passing chapter. And I find that this works yeah. well with a cliffhanger at the end of almost every chapter. So for lack of a better word, because I don't want to diminutize, you know, your, your craft as a writer, but I feel like there is a bit of a, in leaving a bit of a cliffhanger, that there's a bit of a formula to thriller yeah. writing. That number yeah. one, readers expect and appreciate because they're like, they, they want to know what to, what to look forward to. But at the same time, it keeps people turning the page and that's what gives it the page turner, you know, I'm, I'm addicted to this book. A lot of reviewers have said that they've, you know, read both your books like deep into the night. Who needs sleep anyways? <laughs> so how do you feel about that, about the formulaic nature of thrillers? Yeah, I think it's something, as you said, I suppose there's expectations within a genre. But for me, I think how I write is probably books I like to read. And for me, a thriller is a book that isn't a mood read. I read really widely. I read everything from sort of poetry to sort of family dramas and lots in between. But yeah, for me, thrillers, I can read whatever mood I'm in. And that's something I think particular, as you said, to sort of their page turning power. And it's definitely something I think about kind of what do I like in a thriller? And it's the idea that I suppose within each chapter, it almost becomes like a scene and you're sort of plunged into the action quite late and you almost leave early. And I suppose that's why where the cliffhanger element comes in, you're leaving at a point where the reader wants to know more and wants to turn the page. So, yeah, for me, I think it's essential in a thriller and it's something I love to read. I love a book where you kind of think, I'll do one more chapter and then you 10 chapters <laughs> later, you're still there. So, um, yeah, it's a kind of a big compliment when people are saying they're reading into the night. But you kind of make an interesting point about pace because... Some people have described them as a slow burn and some people have described them as fast paced. So that's an interesting sort of subjective point as well. But yeah, maybe like you say, it's more in the middle. <laughs> mm. What is your favourite thriller? I'm curious. Oh, gosh. Favourite thriller of all time. I think probably the thriller that's stuck with me the most, and I can be open and honest and say it's definitely influenced sort of elements of the sanatorium, is The Snowman by Joe Nesbo. I was I love Harry Hula as a character and going back to kind of what we were mentioning before about sort of flawed male detectives. Harry is most definitely flawed, has aspects of his character. But yeah, he kind of does take some stick online, but perhaps not much as um, as much as Ellen. But no, his his that book in itself is chilling. Uh, it's a page turner. I think it's a great kind of study into character. But I mean, I'm biased because I love everything Jane Espo writes. But yeah, that for me is a masterclass in sort of thriller writing. So what's really nice is that okay, so it's chilly in South Africa at the moment. So the sanatorium has been a great read for me um, oh. in the snow, kind of a, a snowy, you know, curled up against the fire kind of book. And I put forward the retreat as a great summer read. Uh, because South Africa will soon be heading into the spring summer months and the retreat. Uh, did I mention the sanatorium? I meant the retreats. Yes. The retreat is a good uh, summer read <laughs> because of that island. I know you think that I'm mad to want to go to Lumen. <laughs> want to go to Lumen? <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, I've got two kids who I love to death, but also I'm tired <laughs> and those cabins are really idyllic. 
I know that the craggy mountain peak, the Reaper, is it's and it it's it's creepy. But I'm happy to stay in my room and just go to yoga <laughs> and stay at the room. Maybe avoid the yoga pavilion. But yeah, I know. Yeah. No, I know. I have to say, when I was writing it, it was kind of we were in the midst of lockdown and couldn't really travel anywhere. And genuinely, it felt like I was going on holiday in my mind. I included elements of Lumen that would be in my dream retreat. We kind of have this rope swing over the water, which takes in quite a sinister aspect from sort of the character's point of view. But I would love. We have the um glass bottom pool yeah I kind of traveled there in my mind so I'm glad for you transporting (laughs) because I think unlike the sanatorium where I definitely wouldn't stay part of me would stay at Lumen (laughs) the sanatorium I mean five star hotel and all but that was super creepy for me that the the light (laughs) fixtures and stuff coming in from there I'd be like oh I don't know what these walls have seen this is really for me, it was, yeah. I agree with you. I definitely wouldn't stay at that hotel. But the Lumen, it's, I think, uh, in this kind of lockdown pace of life at the moment, it, it, <laughs> it hits all the right notes for me. You, you, you posted a beautiful video of the, the kind of setting that inspired the retreat recently. Yes, so what, yeah. where is that? What is that? Yeah, it's an island, actually, that's, to be honest, in the book, I've sort of pushed that island further out to sea, but it's an island just off our coastline, kind of almost yeah, like five minutes from where I live. Um, and I was sort of born, I've moved away and sort of travelled and then kind of come home. But yeah, as a child, I was always fascinated by this island. And in the book, it's a bigger scale, but yeah, the island is sort of quite wild. It's got this rocky outcrop, actually, which is meant to be sort of known as a thatcher, a person thatching a roof. So I kind of adopted that in the book as the reaper. Mm. Um, but I was just, yeah, really intrigued by the idea of kind of what people can see in a landscape what could something be kind of construed as creepy yeah and the island's always inspired me it's somewhere kind of people imagine what happened there what might happen there yeah so um yeah it's a natural place to set the book I think so and by the same token you spent a few you know was it years in Switzerland and so that also really inspired the setting of the sanatorium Yeah, absolutely. I kind of lived in Switzerland. My then, well, my husband now, but my then sort of partner was there for two years. And then I was there for sort of two and a half, three years. And yeah, I just, for me, the landscape, I think when you live somewhere, it kind of becomes a little bit part of you. Um, And even though I wasn't in Switzerland when I was writing the sanatorium, I could feel every kind of aspect of the snow, how it felt, even the sound, the kind of creak of the snow beneath your feet, the dry snow makes a very sort of specific sounds. And yeah, it was an amazing experience. And I think living there, I always knew it would make its way into my fiction, but it wasn't until I sort of found this article about sort of sanatoria in general did I kind of think, right, I've got the landscape and the idea to sort of marry together, which I didn't have when I was living out there. But yeah, it was Switzerland itself was just hugely inspiring. I think you really are a very strong atmospheric writer. I think that's really one of the strengths in both your novels. You really are transported in the sanatorium to that snowy Swiss setting and to this UK beach vibes, um, you know, but cliff retreats, you know, by the sea. It's very different to South Africa's sunny beaches, but it is still quite idyllic in the UK. It's a very different vibe. So definitely I think that's one of your strengths as a writer, but I know that you've published, you know, other shorter pieces and that I'm curious to know if you've written about other um, settings that that came out quite strongly in that writing. 
Yeah, probably less so the mountains. Actually saying that, a few short stories I've kind of written set in the mountains, but um, yeah, nothing like this. And I suppose nothing with creepy overtones. My short fiction was, I suppose, almost like a little bit of a different genre, but actually the sea itself and kind of our UK landscape have featured quite heavily. But I don't think I've kind of done anything, I suppose, as atmospheric as both of the books. I think how I, I, I suppose I've kind of found a way I like to write now and how I sort of incorporate the landscape into the work that I probably, yeah, didn't do in my short fiction in the same way. I think it was probably more character focused. Mm. Probably also because the longer form novel allows for you to explore yeah. the atmosphere more, I'm, ge- I'm guessing. Yeah, no, definitely. And that kind of scene setting aspect kind of, and I suppose using the landscape almost as a character within its own right yeah within a piece of short fiction you just don't have the space to do that in a way so so definitely but yeah I kind of and also I genuinely think kind of getting older I think I personally have an appreciation for sort of the natural world in the way I always did but I suppose it was subconscious rather than conscious now I find myself I, I don't know maybe it's lockdown maybe it's just kind of the experience of mortality or whatever but yeah I find myself just kind of being aware of the natural world a lot more and its beauty and I think yeah it's just part of me so I think it's just yeah, always be there in my work. Speaking of uh, writing in lockdown, I, I want to chat um, as much as you're comfortable about your home life. I've I read about. I made a quick notes of this, and I tried to find it again, and I couldn't. You've got two cats, Elsa and Anna. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Just a dead ringer for you. Probably have kids as well. <laughs> How did you guess? <laughs> <laughs> so famously, you've written during COVID. A lot of people struggled to be productive. During COVID mm. times, they're more. It was more a time of kind of being quiet and ingesting and listening. Where you produced, how did you get any writing done with your two cats and your kids and a husband, and a husband <laughs> and, and a life? Husband. You know, yeah. And a husband, I think probably to have the husband in, I think it was it was it was trying on everyone just because my husband obviously would usually be working from an office. So having everyone working in the same space, and that includes my two children who were home learning um, and both required a computer and a mouse. And my younger daughter required me to be there hovering over her, clicking the mouse during the lesson. So um, <laughs> how, how old are they, Sarah? So she was seven, they're nine and 12 now. And they were kind of seven and sort of nine, 10 at the time. So yeah, it was, it was mind boggling, actually. I'd kind of, I'd had my deadline set. Things were going well. The children were at school in the day. You know, I dropped them off, do the school run, go for my walk. And then I'd have my writing time. And that was just something I banked on kind of five days a week. And then, yeah, that kind of blew away. And I find probably as a lot of women, and I suppose men did too during the pandemic, yeah, kind of your work got squeezed to the outer edges of the day. So I'd be working in kind of times when normally you'd relax. So yeah, I'd be just squeezing it into evenings or squeezing it into the weekends. And I also, the big element I struggled with, and I'll be quite open about that, was I had quite a, a lot of, I suppose, COVID anxiety and news fatigue. I couldn't stop kind of doom scrolling. And that left no room for me creatively. It reminded me of when I was working. I worked for like a doing PR for a, a large corporate before. And lots of people said, did you write during that time? And I said, no, because I was so busy. My brain couldn't think creatively in the evenings. There was no time for it. And that's why I only started writing when I was on maternity leave, because even though I was busy, I wasn't using my brain in the same way. But I found I was using my brain during the pandemic with this kind of constantly keeping up with the news. And I really struggled. And I have to say, I had my deadline, luckily, kind of extended a few times. It was something I think 
a lot of authors struggled with. But yeah, there's elements, positive elements, I suppose. Um, I think the extra time gave me this time and space away from the manuscript I probably wouldn't have had otherwise. And there's bits that were added into the retreat because I ended up having extra time that I felt made it a layered, slightly more nuanced book, particularly around Hannah's point of view, etc. But yeah, it was quite a traumatic experience and not one I'd want to go through again. <laughs> I can imagine. And I think as well, these are all assumptions because I really don't know the publishing industry all that well. The sanatorium, mm. you didn't have that looming deadline, I'm assuming, because it's it's no, your debut. Whereas the then that the retreat comes off the back of the success <laughs> of the sanatorium. Did you, in addition to just having a looming deadline, did you feel pressure to perform as well? Yeah, le- I, I think, to be honest, less so the pressure to perform because I'd actually started the retreat before the sanatorium became successful or I knew it was going to be successful in any way. So I knew I had like what I thought hopefully was quite a strong idea and I had my character of Hannah. Um, but I suppose it was more pressure, just genuinely deadline pressure, not pressure to perform, but just pressure to get the timings right. Um, and I'm personally someone who works better when I'm not under pressure. And I think as a writer, you'll always have deadlines. But if it's something that seems impossible, that's when I get stressed. If I know I've got time and I can kind of, I suppose, manage my own time, it works. But that feeling of control just went absolutely in the pandemic with the idea that the days weren't my own anymore because my children were at home and husband and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, kudos to you. Uh, I I don't reserve this for just anybody, but <laughs> yay! Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing, and truly an inspiration. So, I'm curious to know. Oh, there's one thing before I before I wrap it up. Ellen likes thinks best while she's exercising. Are you like this as well? <laughs> Definitely. I mean, there's lots of Ellen lines that is kind of me, I'll be honest. Okay. <laughs> She's not really the character, but yeah, no, I really do. I kind of, when I, I'm struggling with like a tricky plot point or just struggling with sort of an edit note or something in the text, genuinely, if I go out and I do something, you're not actively even thinking about the book, but I'll come back and kind of, yeah, things are resolved. So for me, my best thinking time is when I'm out and doing stuff. Yeah, it's like meditation. <laughs> in the beginning of the retreat, there's some days that Ellen she goes out for a run twice a day and yeah, I'm like, yeah. mm, that's from someone who knows that your brain switches off when you're yeah. running I can relate to that <laughs> oh yeah it's sort of an escape valve mm. and I think we see it at the beginning of the book kind of quite literally um sort of blowing off steam but yeah mm. I won't say any more but kind of that run is slightly ruined at the beginning but mm. yeah <laughs> so so what's next for Ellen Warner she's had two very atmospheric adventures actually three if you yes. tie in the Halo case, um, where yep. where are you taking her next? Ah, I can't say too much about where, um, but yeah, she's traveling um, to sort of, yeah, slightly sort of further afield again. So she's not staying in Devon um, and it's kind of going to be another challenging case. But yeah, very much sort of tying up those plot threads we saw in book one and, and two. It's again kind of can be read as a standalone But yeah, Ellen finds a little more out about herself. And that's kind of quite interesting for me as an author, writing a kind of series and you have Ellen as a character. We're going to have Ellen finding out a little bit more. And we're also going to, yeah, introduce the sort of why that person is following her. um, And yeah, it all comes to a head. Oh, goodness. That's so exciting. So I want just an an appreciation, a mini appreciation post for those who who don't write and, and can't relate. It is... So superbly difficult, and I just want to appreciate that in in your writing. To for me, it really your novels do kind of tie up quite nicely 
but leave some loose ends, but it's still quite satisfying. There's a lot of both and happening. And I think that takes a lot of skill as a writer. So well done on your two best-selling New York Times best-selling thriller novels. And we look forward to the third one. We're going to put our listeners in touch uh, so that they know where to find this novel in South Africa. But I'm pretty sure you're going to be seeing it all over Bookstagram and uh, in all of your major bookstores. So, Sarah Pierce, thanks for joining me on Current Read. Oh, thank you so much for having me. 